This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to episode 48 of Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, recorded on May 10th, 2021. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications. And I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. We are your hosts for Downtown Lowdown. We'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in business, resources, and issues that affect downtown. We also talk to key individuals that help to make downtown Halifax better. We're back with another special COVID-19 episode. This episode was recorded via video conferencing as we are all working remotely from our homes during the third wave of this pandemic. So we apologize in advance for any issues with the sound quality. We are going to start this episode with Ken Kelly, Project Manager with International Downtown Association, or IDA Canada. Ken is going to tell us about his role with IDEA Canada and how he sees downtown and Main Street areas recovering from the pandemic. And Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, is back. Paul is going to tell us about the new developments with provincial economic relief programs and the new communications campaign that Downtown Halifax Business Commission, in partnership with 11 other business improvement districts across the province, has launched in response to how the government of Nova Scotia's economic relief programs need to better target small business. And on BizBuzz, we have a few milestones to tell you about. We'll remind you of how you can continue to support our local businesses during this lockdown. And we'll chat quickly about what's open in downtown Halifax in Asian Heritage Month. Now, this episode is being recorded on Monday, May 10th, so keep that in mind while listening. The pandemic situation has been changing quickly, with new public health measures and economic programs affecting businesses implemented by the province of Nova Scotia almost daily. To keep up to date, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19 or visit novascotia.ca slash coronavirus. We are welcoming Ken Kelly to Downtown Lowdown. Ken is an urban planner who has worked throughout Canada for more than 40 years to revitalize downtowns and inner cities. He has served as the manager of Downtown Victoria and of Downtown Moncton, Centreville, Inc., as well as president of Downtown New Brunswick and BIA, BC. He is an honorary citizen of Winnipeg, Manitoba, and a graduate of UBC and Queen's University. Ken is currently the project manager for International Downtown Association Canada, also known as IDA Canada. IDA Canada works with 500-plus organizations, which manage Canada's business districts on main streets, in traditional neighborhood commercial areas, and in downtowns to connect placemakers and community-building professionals with the goal of uniting advocacy and research efforts across the country. And Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, will be joining us for this conversation. Ken, you have worked in most cities across Canada in the course of your career. Tell us a few of the highlights, including your work in Winnipeg, Moncton, and Victoria. I've had the pleasure of working in five of the six regions across the country. Uh, I've lived in 10 cities, actually. And boy, each each has been a revelation. Each has been a lesson. Uh, some of the highlights, yeah, Winnipeg. That was definitely the job that provided, oh my goodness, the realization People can work together, people can harness their creativity, and results can be created. I worked for the first urban development agreement in Canada. That meant that the city, the province, and the federal government harnessed their intellectual as well as financial resources to focus on the 10 square miles of the inner city of Winnipeg. I had the opportunity of going to Winnipeg to create, run, and and uh, conclude 
this program, the Heritage Program for the Core Area Initiative, I think what it revealed to me was, yikes, what a difference it can make when people share a vision and get, you know, as I say, kind of harnessed into that focus and the shared objective of getting something done. And the city, uh, the city being the physical entity, was such a beneficiary of all of that creativity. And what's interesting is if you look at the Healthy Communities Initiative that's going right now, the monies that have been allocated to that are really quite modest in relation to what was harnessed in Winnipeg. And that, that core area initiative agreement went from 83 to 91. And the first agreement was $96 million for the first five years. And the second was $100 million. So almost $200 million in 10 square miles. And there were 13 programs. And they looked at the social, the physical, the economic the historic, they looked at every component, and it really transformed. So I guess for context, Ken, we're, we're talking about 83. So this was this would have been during the the latter reign of our current prime minister's father when he was prime minister. Um, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned the urban development agreements. It's, it's a theme we might revisit uh, a bit later when we talk about your current work with federal advocacy. Uh, but there was a time when, you know, the federal government was, was quite interested in city building. Uh, and we used to hear about these urban development agreements, um, which I don't know about Central Canada, but certainly they existed at West. And a lot of our Western colleagues would talk about how their downtown was transformed through these urban development agreements. Uh, but but that never existed uh, in, uh, in Atlantic Canada. So it's one of the things that we're trying to work on is, <clears throat> excuse me, revive them in Western Canada, but also uh, bring them east as well. Well, and I think we have every opportunity, not only here in Halifax, but for our region, working with ACOA. With the recent budget, we've uh, got an allocation of $500 million to, to be delivered through the regional development corporations, and it is an economic incentive. But economic can also mean there could be a creative use that would maybe uh, provide housing. Uh, provide social opportunities, a greater integration within the community. We are looking for greater social harmony. Look at the unrest south of the border that we've been watching for the past number of years. These are all kind of things that can fall under the, the economic umbrella. One thing I've learned in life is you're going to get nowhere unless you're creative and unless you're bold and you're willing to step forward and share the ideas that you have. Ultimately, they may not be the ones that are successful, but they will contribute to hopefully a, a new thinking. And Paul, you and your colleagues, not only at downtown uh, Halifax, but within HRM, you're doing a splendid job in working with not only our provincial government, the federal government and its representatives, to try and create new solutions in these punishing times. That's what, that's really going to be the key. It's going to be that sort of go, come on, you know what? Let's stop doing things like we used to. Let's do this differently. Okay, that, that was work in the context of you being the city planner. That's your background. Yes. Um, but at some point you, you morphed uh, into a, a business improvement district uh, leader like myself. Uh, and Lan and Ivy here, so you got into into our world. So tell us a bit about how that how that transition occurred and and where you've done that work. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I guess I've had three 
vocations in my life. First was a heritage planner. Second was sustainable development. And then the third became downtowns, which kind of brought it all together. Um, the sustainability was rather interesting because it's come full circle. And it's really lived with me. It was I was working at Vermont Allison University in the early 90s, and I was responsible for a community sustainable development program, three pilot projects, three in New Brunswick, three in PEI. But it was a tough economic time. It had just taken a nosedive, and boy, we had to scramble. But that morphed into an opportunity of working with BIAs in New Brunswick and doing strategic planning. But throughout this, there was this underlying chord in my thinking that had been created. We've got to be more mindful of the environment. And that's something that has remained to us to this day. With global warming, we can't recover. It's kind of, you know, we look at the pandemic and how horrific it is for all of us. Well, you know what? A slight extrapolation of that is global warming and climate change. All of this is going to make our lives and our economy so much more difficult to execute successfully if we're not all working together. So you ask me, well, how did you get involved with the BIA? <laughs> Let me come to that. So I did some strategic planning in New Brunswick at Mount A with the BIAs, who were a delight to work with. And uh, my job at Mount A ended, and I ended up, because of my wife, who has had a wonderful career with CBC, she took a, a job as the afternoon show host in Moncton, and we moved from Sackville up to Moncton, and I took a couple of jobs, one of which uh, was the manager of downtown uh, Moncton. And it was terrific. And there's a city you know, that is so socially and culturally brilliant in terms of its cohesion and the, 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 the joie de vie between the Anglophones and the Acadians. But it needed a lot of attention and lead, needed a lot of loving care because it was at that cr critical transition time of businesses being wooed away from our downtowns to the malls, to the, the power centers, and it really required um, a, a, a high, high level of creativity and ingenuity. And, you know, I think Moncton is still working at that. Uh, what can I say? I guess, I guess one experience I had in Moncton was a bridge was going to be constructed into Moncton from Riverview, from the south side uh, across the Petticodiac River. And it was an interesting exercise in as much as this was an archaic 1916 two-lane bridge that actually had to be closed during rush hour to allow a bus to go in one direction or the other. So it really was a traffic jammer. And uh, the provincial government decided they were going to replace the, the, the bridge with a lot of support uh, and, and lobbying from both Riverview and Moncton. Well, the Premier, with with his uh, Minister of Transportation, with great glee, unveiled the new bridge, the design for it. Ooh, it looked really out of out of keeping, out of step with what 
was needed in that urban location. It was more like a rural highway bridge that they were proposing than something that had some character, some intimacy that was going to connect the inner part of Moncton to the sister community of Riverview. And it was a good, it was a good example of if you can develop the case, you can turn people's minds. And the, the Minister of Transportation would, didn't want to hear peep from me about any suggestions. But I went to the Premier. I didn't know the Premier, but I said to him, I think, can we not discuss this? And he said, sure, come and see me. So we prepared um, a PowerPoint. In those days, that was like 2001, 2002 PowerPoints, or the Internet, they weren't quite as sophisticated as they are now, but we gathered all of these images together of what other bridges looked like. And the, and the uh, McDonald Bridge here was one of them because you had extended the width of the sidewalk, and that's what we wanted to do, move this proposed six-foot sidewalk to 12 feet because we knew people were going to have to move to bicycles and more active transportation at the turn of the millennia. That's where my thinking had moved to with the benefit of that job at Mount Allison. And you know what? We showed him, we made the case. And he said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And and so the design of the bridge was totally turned on its head. And it was made to be a much more kind of, person-related structure. Uh, But then he turned to me, he said, you know, Ken, everybody in the province is going to want to have a bridge like this. There's additional costs associated with this. I need your help to convince city council and town council to raise the additional monies. Well, we did. We did because we had a solid case. And I think that's one of the important things for us all to remember is if we are wanting to progress, we've got to progress in some logical trajectory, again, using our imaginations and resolve and working together. The last, your final, well, I guess your penultimate, uh, maybe penultimate step in your your career journey uh, took you kind of unexpectedly to Victoria, where you had to build something uh, from scratch. Yes, well, again, that's a very good example of... uh, Making sure, no matter how distressing the circumstances are, that you're looking for partners to work with. Joanne took a transfer with CBC, and I found myself leaving downtown Moncton and looking for a job. I arrived in Victoria. The fine folk of the downtown had dissolved their their downtown BIA, and they had... uh, realized the error of their way by the time I arrived, and I presented myself and worked for them uh, as a consultant, and then that worked into a job. That was a very interesting case. There was an organization that had kind of lost some credibility. There was a downtown that was being challenged by street issues with social change that was playing out on the streets of downtown Victoria and impacting the businesses but it was also an opportunity to connect the business community through its heart, through its spirit, with that business, with the downtown uh, street community. We created a clean team. The clean team, the board and myself agreed, 
could be comprised of those individuals who had challenges in life, whether they were employment challenges, crime, drugs, what physical. We had everybody. We just opened the door. We kind of said, hey, if you want a job, we'd love to give it to you. So there was in the span, well, how many years did I work there? So in the span of about 12 years, we hired 60 to 70 men and women from the street to help the downtown. They helped the downtown. The downtown helped them. It gave them a new spring in their step. It gave them the opportunity to kind of rebuild their lives. And it was terrific. It was excellent. Downtown Victoria was also another example of sometimes you get labeled with an identity. And at one particular point when I was there, the, the social issues had become so great that mm, we were, you know, downtown, you don't want to go downtown. So what we did was the downtown is so unique out in Victoria. It's like Halifax. It's an historic city. It's got different elements to it. We created 10 distinct districts, precincts, really, within the downtown boundaries. And we branded and labeled those. And suddenly, people started going, oh, yeah, have you been to Lojo, Lower Johnson? It was only one block, but it was comprised of myriad of wonderful boutiques. Oh, have you been to, you know, Fabulous Fort? Again, two blocks, but great shopping. Have you been down to Government Street? Have you been to Chinatown? We created an alternative identity, an alter ego for the downtown, so that people didn't see that downtown that was being labeled on a fairly regular basis with dramatic headlines. They were starting to see the charm and the elements that comprised the downtown that were more of an appealing nature. So, Ken, you retired as business improvement district manager a few years ago and decided to move back to Halifax, but your work is not over. Uh, can you tell us about your role these days with IDA Canada and even how it's changed now with the pandemic? Yeah, it's, look, it's a, it's a privilege and a delight to still be working with my colleagues and pals across the country. Uh, this had its genesis here in Halifax. It was Paul McKinnon, none other than our own Paul, who in, oh, it'd be, be 15 years ago, I bet you, Paul, eh? 2000, 2006, seven, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Uh, we, there was an informal group of us across the country who would kind of get together. We'd get together at the annual International Downtown Association conference. But then we continued it through the course of the year. And one one conversation that we were having across the country, Paul posed the question. He's such a great questioner. He said, <laughs> hey, what's, what's everybody's capital budget? What's the percentage of your capital budget in your city's improvements? Or how much of the, the capital budget is designated for improvements downtown? And he said, this year ours is 1%. We're a big region, but 1% is a little bit low. Mm -hmm. And it started this conversation, and thus was the genesis of this kind of informal committee being formed as Downtowns Canada, the creation of a downtown declaration, the 
creation of a report from 10 distinct and separate communities across the country where we all ponied up at $10,000 to study the value of investing downtown. So what were those key elements that comprise a successful, vibrant, vital downtown? Well, that, that whole concept started here in Halifax with Paul. And so that's continued to operate. But three years ago, uh, IDA made a very generous commitment to the BIAs across Canada, the BIAs and the SDCs, the Société de Development Commercial in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Over 500 of us across the country, they agreed to support financially in creating for me a part-time job to build the cohesion and develop a single voice for BIAs and SDC in Ottawa. So that's really what our focus is. Right. As we continue to support each other, but the bigger agenda is how can we be more effective? Everybody here in HRM knows the nine terrific bids that are working so hard in the face of the pandemic. But we need that kind of local and regional knowledge about bids, BIAs, SDCs, to build to a point in Ottawa, they know us as well as they might know the Chamber of Commerce, (laughs) the Chambers of Commerce. They've been around a long time. They've had a long time to develop their identity and their reputation. They're a terrific group, very How can we emulate that? How can we succeed in being better partners? Because I go back to that point. It's all about working together. How can we work with those in Ottawa to build a better Canada? And so how has it changed now with the pandemic? Has it changed? Oh, you know what? The pandemic has taken us to our knees. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're really reeling from this. And I have to give such credit to the federal government in creating the programs that they have for rent relief, for wage relief. This is not an easy situation from which we can extract ourselves. Mm -hmm. And our federal government and the bureaucrats have been given an impossible task to, you know, try and wave the magic wand and create all the elements that might be necessary for a very effective recovery. I guess one thing that I would say is is I would love for there to be a higher level of consultation. I know that they have their go-to people that they would be conferring with. And, and Paul, you've been remarkable in your relationship with, with Andy Fillmore. Uh, and he he has been responsive to you. But I think we just need to build that uh, more effectively. And the government has got to listen more closely to those organizations which are closest to the ground, closest to the issues. And I don't mean that we have all the answers, but we sure have a lot of connections because the bids in Halifax work so well with all of your partners. We just sort of, again, extend that that principle and extend it to a whole national body. Uh, Paul, you talk about the urban development agreements. I could not be a bigger believer or fan of that particular approach. 
it's very difficult across the country for the federal government to say to the entire country, come on, on a first-come, first-served basis. And yet, with this new budget that's being introduced, as I spoke earlier, that $500 million being distributed to the RDCs, we have the opportunity, I think, of working more closely with ACOA to develop a made-in-Atlantic Canada solution that could be an urban development agreement. I think that there are those there are those individuals who can harness the creativity of their community, can pull together the dollars that are necessary, and say, "We want to work with you on that." And I guess that's what's got to be worked out. There's one very good, you know, example, I suppose, of where are we trying to go with this? What are some of the ideals? The federal government has historically, since the pandemic began, announced uh, an allocation of monies, but have not necessarily been able to articulate all of the details. And that's the case with this budget. We have got to get, you know, like uh, the Halifax bids and the DAC, Downtown Atlantic Canada, and IDA Canada have got to get to a COA and say, we've got some great ideas for you. We want to put these on the table and please give them consideration. We're not looking at this exclusively for ourselves, but we are looking for any communities that are capable of harnessing their resources to work with you. Okay, so following this pandemic, we are all hoping that downtowns will be back stronger than ever. Given your vast experience with downtowns and looking into your crystal ball, where do you feel downtowns are headed over the next decade, Ken? Well, now that's a great one because the the smaller cities, and, and, and Halifax is not really a small city by any stretch of the imagination, but it does have a manageable downtown, just like downtown Victoria. The downtowns that I really worry about are the big ones. You know, downtown Montreal, downtown uh, Toronto, downtown Vancouver, where they had such volumes of office workers going in and out of the downtown that the businesses there have truly been impacted. You know, uh, I, I earlier said they've been brought to their knees. Well, and I was referring to a global brought to your knees. But in this particular case, those large downtowns really have suffered. And they are they're finding recovery difficult. They are genuinely working with each other to find the means of extracting themselves from this situation. So it's really going to require probably some additional money to support the creative thinking that will be able to bring those downtowns back. But it will also require us to redefine those downtowns. I really think that. You know, Calgary and Edmonton have been so incredible. The city councils there have forgiven the levy of the BIAs in all precincts, not only their downtowns, which I would include in the major downtowns that have been so dramatically impacted by COVID. You know, and there's a lot of hope being placed in residential conversion. 
I'm a big believer in residential conversion. That was very big when we were doing the historic revitalization of the exchange district in Winnipeg. But these are these are distinctly different times, and people seem to be escaping the downtowns. We've got to find the means by which we attract them back downtown. And culture, Halifax is such a downtown. Halifax is such a beautiful. Uh, cultural destination with so many theater companies and, and troops that are uh, singing and dancing troops that, you know, attract people downtown. I think some of the infrastructure improvements could well be to the kind of the outdoor audience, the performance bowls, something like that that can keep people coming downtown, but change the manner in which people are entertained. And the food and beverage, going to the streets, the partnerships that have been demonstrated here in HRM and right across the country with municipal governments, they've acted faster, they've been more responsive, and they've been so collaborative in doing the things necessary to support our businesses. That's one thing that surely will continue. Ken, we don't we don't throw around the, the term national treasure too much, but, but certainly in our industry, Ken, you are a national treasure. And I recall back not that long ago to the days when, uh, as you said, IDA Canada had committed to a three-year pilot project, and we and uh, the CEO David Downey there uh, had kind of come back to the Canadian group that was leading the charge, saying, "Well, we need to bring on some resources. Does anyone have uh, any suggestions of, of who we should uh, who we should approach to hire?" We said, "No, no suggestions. We, we've got the person. He's just retired." Uh, and David knew knew of you and knew you as well. He said, it's got to be Ken Kelly. He he knows he's forgotten more about uh, downtowns in Canada than, than most people will, will ever learn. So, because no. you know, one of the challenges that we face, I think, and that this is the case with a lot of organizations like ours, is you know we're also busy in the day to day. Like it's it's been very reactive. You know, there's there's um you know certainly since COVID hit, there's been just very little time to do any sort of strategic long term planning, and everyone is in reaction mode. Not just us, but but governments too. And that's been a real uh, it's been a real challenge, uh, and I think we need to do a better job at tapping into people that, you know, perhaps aren't dealing as much with the day-to-day reactive things, you know, working within an organization. Uh, I could just kind of apply some brain power to this. So we're leaning on you, Ken, to, to uh, help us uh, save downtowns in, in Canada. I know you're I know you're on the job, and uh, we expect more things to come from you. It's, it's, look, it's been a delight. It's a delight to be here in Halifax, to be so close to all of you, and to be able to work with you. So thank you. Thank you very much, Ken, for joining us. We'll have to have you on again sometime. Ken Kelly is the project manager for IDA Canada and works with the over 500 organizations which manage business districts on main streets, in traditional neighborhood commercial areas, and in downtowns across Canada. You can learn more about IDA Canada and read One National Voice, an Urban Agenda for Recovery with Resilience 2020 at downtown.org slash IDA-Canada. As usual, we aren't going to let Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, go just yet. He's going to give us an update on the Provincial Economic Relief Programs and tell us about the communications plan that Downtown Halifax Business Commission, in partnership with 11 other business improvement districts across the province, has launched. The communications plan is in response to how the Government of Nova Scotia's economic relief programs need to better target small business. So, Paul, what do you have for us today? Well, we want to talk a little bit more about uh, the provincial programs uh, that were announced last week that are that are uh, going to be opening up, or some are open now and some are opening very soon. So we want to encourage 
businesses to uh, to look into those and to look into all the programs, government programs that are available. But specifically the provincial ones, uh, two of them are, are similar. So it's a provincial tax rebate program. Uh, and it's a program by which um, you can get uh, up to 50% of your first commercial tax payments to your municipality. So essentially it's, it works out to be about 25% of your uh, of your tax bill for the year, um, if you do the math. Uh, and that's available uh, to you as a rebate. Um, so you need to apply uh, to the provincial government. Uh, the challenge for some tenants is that, uh, of course, they don't necessarily have this information at their fingertips because uh, in Nova Scotia, you pay your commercial property tax through your landlord as, as a common area cost, but your landlord should be able to provide you with that information uh, and you can pl- apply for up to $5,000 uh, as a grant back. Uh, there's two different programs, but kind of for two different types of businesses. So there's a, a specific stream uh, for tourism related um, uh, organizations or, or businesses, and then there's another stream for other businesses and you can't double dip. So if you were a retailer, you would apply to one program. If you're a, a hotel, you would apply to the other one. So that program um, is, uh, is, uh, is just about to be launched. It's, it's taken a little while. It was announced a while ago. It's taken a little while to get off the ground. Uh, but uh, we are told that's going to be launching this week. Uh, so we'd encourage people to apply for that. Uh, and then the other one is uh, is the revisitation, I guess, of a previous program. The provincial government uh, tends to roll out whenever there are these waves of restrictions. So we're now kind of in our third wave of restrictions. So this is the small business impact grants. Uh, and again, this is this is um, a direct amount uh, into your pockets. Um, it can be up to a maximum of five thousand uh, dollars. It is tied into the, the amount of sales that you have as well. So. Uh, that $5,000 is a maximum um, if you meet the other criteria. That program will be launched uh, on May 19th. Um, you can go to the website uh, now and check out the information, but uh, May 19th is when uh, they'll start taking applications. And actually, I should say, if you were a previous recipient uh, of either round one or round two, uh, the province is going to be proactively uh, approaching you, letting you, reminding you that this program is open again. So you should get an email from the province if you've applied uh, before in the previous rounds. Um, the big difference this time around is this is the first time that the restrictions have applied to retailers. So, uh, you know, if you're strictly a retail operation, you would not have received money through round one or round two. Uh, so you have to be a bit more proactive and, and go in on May 19th and, uh, and make your application. And you can find out more information about those programs uh, and grants at novascotia.ca slash coronavirus slash support. So, Paul, uh, do you want to talk about um, our communications campaign that we've uh, partnered with uh, with the 11 other business improvement districts? Sure. So certainly, you know, throughout this, you know, the entire pandemic, um, you know, Downtown Halifax Business Commission has has been very proactive uh, in terms of working with all levels of government. Um, so. That takes a couple of different forms. We're, we're on phone calls, uh, with, uh, with representatives from the province, from the federal government and from the city, uh, at least once a week. Uh, at times it's been as much as three times a week. And, and actually we've just recently moved as of this week to a, a daily schedule, uh, when we're talking to those groups and, and as well as other organizations. And there's really been a, you know, a good cooperative working relationship with all sorts of different business organizations and the government, uh, has been a good feedback loop in terms of when they launch programs, they get lots of feedback from us on that through these calls. Um, I would say this time around, uh, certainly we, we've been hearing um, more vocally from our members uh, about what they really what they feel is the inadequacy at, of some of these programs um, uh, that have just been launched uh, to deal with the third wave. Uh, it's interesting that the third wave, I mean, I guess we're, we're a year into this pandemic. Uh, in some ways, there's a bit more certainty um, about, uh, about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel uh, because of the vaccination schedule, which is really the, the main positive that we have going forward is that we are seeing more and more people vaccinated all the time. But having said that, I think the level of business concern is probably higher now than it's ever been. 
Uh, and I think partly because we're kind of getting to the end and there's a number of businesses that, that are looking at their bottom line and their impacts and they're saying, you know, I'm not going to make it till September. I can only make it till September. I might make it straight through. But, you know, after a really tough year, uh, cash reserves are down, debts are up. And even though there's been ongoing programs, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say most businesses, you know, that have survived this long are in much worse financial shape than they were a year ago when the pandemic first hit. So even though there's more certainty now, there's, there is, I would say, a greater level of concern than there's ever been. Uh, and really what businesses have been, have been telling us, um, in downtown Halifax, and we've discovered from, of course, our close uh, working together with our colleagues across Nova Scotia, is that across Nova Scotia, businesses are telling their business organizations, you know, these programs are not, are not enough, uh, to keep us in business, um, over this next uh, few months. So we've really, uh, you know, we've been coordinating with with the other business improvement districts uh, across Nova Scotia. There's 12 of us um, in total. So, you know, we've always worked well together, and we, it's very easy for us to get on a Zoom call and, and compare notes. And uh, and doing that last week, we realized that all of our members were saying pretty much the same thing. And so um, we did put out a release uh, late last week on Friday, uh, which asked for some very specific points uh, from the government, uh, the provincial government uh, in this case, um, that we all agree with. Uh, and we'd like to uh, to be able to sit down and have a conversation with them about these. So those three main asks are, number one, that the, uh, the business impact grant uh, is simply not enough. So it, it caps it at $5,000. Many businesses won't get the $5,000. Uh, there's some other there's some other challenges in terms of businesses that may not be eligible, uh, but for the most part, the main message is that that five thousand dollars that that cap needs to be uh, higher, uh, and we've asked for significantly higher. I don't know if there's a magic number, uh, but certainly what there seems to be broad agreement is is that five thousand dollars really isn't going to cover very much uh, in terms of monthly expenses. So we'd like to see that program, um, you know, put some more money put into it uh, and for it to be likely. Number two, uh, the uh, the tax rebate program, uh, which was designed a while ago, and it was designed to help, uh, again, businesses that were directly impacted by restrictions, um, does not apply to retailers. So because the program was designed a while ago, it wasn't anticipated there would be a third wave and that retailers would be impacted. Uh, but now that that's happened and retailers are impacted, uh, we are asking the province to allow retailers to be eligible for that program as well. So not only for the, the small business impact grant, but also for the tax rebate program, uh, which is the case for restaurants and other groups uh, that, have, that have been impacted, but, uh, but retailers currently are not eligible. So we would like the program to be extended to include them as well as maybe some other groups uh, that have been missed. Uh, and finally, number three, um, which has been lots of conversation, I think, in the in the media about, is this this perceived unfairness um, about businesses that really have had to close their doors and those that haven't. So under the current rules, you know, if you're a retailer that's selling mostly kind of consumer um, um, products that aren't, you know, they're not food or pharmaceuticals or kind of what people would generally consider non-essential items, essentially the government said you've got to close your doors. You can still do online shopping. You can still do, still take calls and do curbside pickup. But really, we don't want anyone in your store uh, shopping. Uh, but if you're a store that sells essential products as well as non-essential products, you can essentially be open uh, for the public. So you think about some of the larger retailers, people like Costco or Walmart, you know, that sell food and pharmaceuticals and, and other essential goods. But they sell lots of other things as well. Um, and they're not they're not impacted by the restrictions in the same way the small retailer is. So this was a huge issue in Ontario for a long, long time. Uh, it finally got resolved by the government, essentially saying to the larger retailers, you cannot sell non-essential items. Uh, the provincial government here has been unwilling to do that. Um, they prefer to take the approach of, you know, kind of just some softer messaging, uh, kind of asking those larger retailers not to sell non-essential items. Uh, but there's no enforcement uh, around that. And so I think what we really wanted to bring to the fore is that, you know, that is a concern and it is seen as being unfair. Uh, and it's being seen as being unfair you know, to these smaller businesses um, that have taken on more debt, that, that 
that perhaps don't have the deep reserves of, of cash that some of the larger retailers do. So uh, it, it's hurting the small businesses, and, and in fact, we feel those are the ones that need the most help. So uh, that's the third point. And um, uh, I guess at this point now, we've, we've uh, put that put that message out there. Um, we are planning to meet um, with uh, with Minister Levy Casillas. Uh, who's the Minister of Inclusive Economic Growth, formerly the Department of Business. Um, and these programs all fall under his department. So we're looking forward to talking with him directly uh, this week. Uh, and we'll keep putting those messages out, uh, both in the public um, eye and as well as directly to government that, you know, we as business organizations, you know, we, we're raising these concerns. These are the concerns that our members are telling us about. Um, but we also think there's a great opportunity to sit down and, um, and help tweak government programs to give them advice about how government programs can be rolled out easier and quicker. Um, so we are still looking for a collaborative relationship uh, with government. Uh, and we also want to share the stories of our members. So, you know, there's there's nothing quite like, you know, talking to individual business owners about the struggles that they're facing. And the reality is that some of them do fall through the cracks uh, of even the best designed government programs. So uh, one of the things that we are talking to our members about um, is is for them to to share their stories, to explain, you know, what their specific hardships are. You know, if the programs are working for them or if they're not, why not? Um, and so we're collecting some of those video testimonials um, from our members as well. So we're continuing to to ask for those and collect those and uh, and, uh, and the other business commissions are doing that as well. And we'll be sharing those uh, very soon. Yeah, so if any uh, businesses in downtown Halifax uh, want to share their story via video, uh, we're asking for short videos of under a minute, and they can email them to me at ivy at downtownhalifax.ca. So thanks a lot, Paul. Thank you for that update. All right, thank you. We were talking to Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He gave us updates on the Provincial Economic Relief Programs and the new communications campaign launched by 12 bids from across the province in response to the Economic Relief Programs. And now for BizBuzz. It's time for BizBuzz. Lauren Andrews, our new Marketing Communications Coordinator, is here with me today along with Ivy. Thanks for joining me, Lauren and Ivy. Hey, Elena. On this episode of BizBuzz, we have a few milestones to share. We'll remind you of how you can continue to support our local businesses during lockdown. And we'll quickly chat about what's open in downtown Halifax and Asian Heritage Month. So, Lauren, let's start with some business milestones. What do you have for us? So, yes, the Carlton Halifax is celebrating its 13th anniversary. They are not currently open due to COVID, but they are looking forward to welcoming everyone back when it's safe to do so. Follow at Carlton Halifax on Instagram to keep up to date. Merlin the Macaw, the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic's famous Rainbow Macaw, is turning 19 this year. The museum is planning a virtual hatch day on May 15th. Follow at NS underscore MMA on Instagram for more information. Thanks, Lauren. So as we continue to navigate this third wave of the pandemic, we are asking that you continue to support our local small businesses. Here's a quick reminder of how you can safely support local. If you are able, you can get takeout or delivery from your local restaurants and cafes, shop online and choose curbside pickup or delivery, buy gift cards to use later. And here are a few ways you can support businesses for free. Follow your favorite businesses on social media and like, share, or comment positively on their posts, or give them a shout out on your own social media. You can recommend your favorite local businesses to your friends, leave a positive review on a review site, and finally, you can reach out to the owners and employees of your favorite local businesses to see how they're doing. They would love to hear from you. So even though restaurants and retail businesses are closed for in-person service, you can still order and shop from them. For restaurants, some smaller cafes are still open for in-person takeout service, so you can walk in and order takeout directly from the counter, 
or you can also order takeout by phone or online for either contactless curbside pickup or local delivery. Most retail stores are also operating online now, so you can order online and choose curbside pickup, local delivery, or shipping, and many retail stores are also showcasing their products on their social media sites, so you can order by DMing them, which is very 2021, and others are offering virtual shopping tours using FaceTime or Zoom. I recommend checking the web and social media sites of the businesses you are interested in ordering from first to see if they are open and how they're operating right now. And we've been updating our What's Open in Downtown Halifax pages since the new restrictions were announced. These pages offer a quick rundown of what's open and open online for business in the downtown area and their contact information. You can visit this page at downtownhalifax.ca slash open. And if you are a business in downtown Halifax, and would like to be included on this list, please email communications at downtownhalifax.ca. And finally, May is Asian Heritage Month. Asian Heritage Month gives us the opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate the achievements and contributions that Canadians of Asian descent have made in Canada. The theme for Asian Heritage Month 2021, Recognition, Resilience, and Resolve, embodies the sentiments that peoples of Asian descent in Canada have experienced and honors their contributions and their diverse stories, which are rooted in resilience and perseverance. It's also a call to action for all Canadians to come together to combat all forms of anti-Asian racism and discrimination. In honor of Asian Heritage Month, we will be highlighting some Asian-owned and led businesses that have contributed to the vibrancy of the downtown area on our social media channels. Make sure you're following at Downtown Halifax to keep up to date. And if your business is Asian-owned or led and is located in Downtown Halifax, and you would like to be featured on our social media, let us know. Email communications at downtownhalifax.ca. And quickly before you finish, does anyone have any downtown experiences that they would like to share? So, Alana, yeah, I uh, actually volunteered for uh, one of the rapid test Mm -hmm. uh, sites at the convention center on Sunday, uh, the Sunday past. So it was a really good experience. There were lots of people trying to get tested. Uh, So I I recommend that anybody who has some extra time uh, to volunteer for one of those sites. Um, Of course, you know, public health is encouraging anyone who is asymptomatic to get tested on a regular basis at a pop-up rapid test site to protect themselves and the community. Uh, Rapid testing is offered to people who are 16 and over, Mm -hmm. uh, do not have symptoms, have not traveled, have not visited a potential exposure site, have not been in contact with anyone that has tested positive. For those who are going to get tested, uh, you may have to wait outside, so please dress for the conditions. Uh, people with mobility challenges may want to pre-book appointments at uh, standard primary assessment center, mm-hmm. uh, and then negative results are sent via text. If you test positive, you will be notified and sent for a standard COVID-19 test. It's important to note that a negative result on a rapid test is not a guarantee, though. Uh, You could still develop or be exposed to COVID-19 in the coming days. Uh, Therefore, it's important to continue to wear a mask, wash your hands, maintain social or physical distance, and stick to a small social bubble. Uh, Pop-ups are regularly held at the Halifax Convention Center on Argyle Street, as well as locations across the province. So people can check out the schedule and a list of locations at nshealth.ca slash coronavirus testing. Yeah, so yeah, Dr. Barrett, who we interviewed on episode 42, has been saying that even if you're just going out to get essentials, groceries, yes, and not sandals, anything but sandals, then you should be <laughs> getting tested regularly anyway. So I'm trying to go once a week now. Mm-hmm. The third wave has started. I've been going once a week. And it's even just nice for my peace of mind to get that, well, knock on wood, and hopefully it will continue, but get that negative text message that comes up. It's just nice to be able to 
to uh, have that peace of mind for everybody. Yeah, so if you're out in the community, even though not socializing, it's good to no. get tested. Yeah. Um, because this variant is quite different from the first Yeah, very one. contagious. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it spreads very quickly. Yeah. Um, other than pop-up testing sites, uh, I've been, uh, we got uh, Layers Cupcakes, uh, curbside pickup, yeah. because it was Mother's Day this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did the curbside pickup with Layers uh, and got a half dozen cupcakes for, oh, for nice. Mother's Day, which was really nice. And yeah. you can actually choose your own cupcakes. You know, you can have a mixed box of uh, different kinds of different flavors. So that was yeah, really that's nice. That's a special treat. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a special treat because they're so yummy and rich. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do it all the time, but it was nice for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last night we did uh, Tally Thai um, pickup. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was delicious. We so you just ordered it by phone or online? Yeah. or ordered yeah. it by phone, yeah. and um, it was, you know, pretty easy to do. It was uh, no yeah. waiting. It was, uh, they said, half an hour um, my husband went to pick it up, and yeah, it was easy. We had oh, that's great. some curry and some pad thai. So oh, that sounds really good. It was um, really good, actually. Yeah, we did a couple of things for Mother's Day too, and it's so easy. Like I, I kind of hope that some of this, this, the curbside pickups continue, because it is just so convenient. We ordered some boxes of chocolate um, from Russo's Chocolatier oh, nice. on South Street, and um, for pickup. And so I said I wanted it for Saturday, and they said okay, you can pick it up on Saturday. It was no problem. Um, they brought it out to the curb. You just have to call when you pull up, and they brought it right out to the curb. Um, so super convenient and easy. And same with Inkwell. My husband ordered a couple things for me and my and his mother from Inkwell. So when he showed up, he told me when he showed up to pick it up, he decided he did not have enough for his mother. And he saw a mug in the window and said, I want that mug. And so the employee went in, wrapped up the mug, and he was able to um, reuse his credit card that they had on file and purchase the mug. So he said it was so easy. He didn't have to go in. No decisions, hard decisions had to be made. That's <laughs> so great. He, yeah, and that was so convenient. And yeah. and then, of course, our, our uh, producer, Mike, had a great takeout experience from Two Doors Down. For the anniversary, they ordered some pad thai and some other food, and they did the curbside pickup. Again, super convenient. Just drop, drop down and pick it up. And, um, yeah, so it's just uh, it's really easy, and it's also very safe to do. And so if you're, if you're wondering about it and you haven't done it yet, I would say it's, it's fine to, to order online for the curbside pickup or delivery because they can even leave it outside your car, and then you can get it after they leave, or you can, you know, have it delivered on your doorstep and, and wait for them to leave. So it is, it's really easy to order. Yeah, most places would have that contactless mm-hmm. option for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so those are my experiences. Yeah, and so that's it for BizBuzz this week. This concludes episode 48 of Downtown Lowdown, recorded on May 10th, 2021. For more information, go to downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast and found it informative, please rate and subscribe to Downtown Lowdown. Don't forget to follow at Downtown Halifax on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.